you, Brother Shield. I'm getting old. <clears throat> I have my car keys. When I walked out of my room, I picked up the car keys. I was going to drive. By the time I got to the front door, I forgot that I was going to drive the car, and I walked over here. <laughs> I don't guess that happens to any of you, does it? <laughs> I was halfway over here, and I looked down and had the car keys in my hand. I said, you know, you were supposed to drive the car. And they tell me it gets worse. Hallelujah. Of course, the advantage is you wake up in a new world every day. Hallelujah. I want to say how much I've enjoyed being here this week with you good folks. And uh, you're so friendly. You're so nice. I, uh, I told Dr. Shield I'm not used to preaching this much in one week. A lot of times, even if you go to a meeting, you know, you're just preaching once. And so this is, uh, what, four times in four days taxing me hallelujah you may not think i'm serious when i say that but i am the older i get the harder it is to come back and preach i, I now realize why god gives you sons so you can when you get this age your son preaches on sunday night hallelujah and that's a wonderful plan well i don't have a son so i've had to get some spiritual guys to help me um do you remember where we read from the word of the Lord today? Does anybody even happen to remember? What, what was our text? Hey, let's go right back there again tonight. If you'll forgive me, I've never done this. And started preaching when I was 23. I'm 56, so that's 33 years. And I've never gone back to the same text again on the same day. But I think I am. And uh, I'm not apologizing. I'm explaining. For several weeks before I came here, I just really sought the Lord. I, I don't know if it's just uh, inner drive or what, but I wanted to do the best that I could do, not in competition with anyone else but myself. But uh, I, I told the Lord I want to do the very best that I can do when I'm there. And I felt like the Lord was going to have me preach a, uh, a session at one point that, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say things that make it look wrong here, but almost in a prophetic sense and uh, it was out of the book of uh, Zechariah had to do with Zechariah and Haggai and I just felt like the Lord wanted me to tell you as a church that, that it's time to dance and that was going to be my subject so I thought I'd preach it Thursday and it couldn't feel it and thought I'd preach it Friday for sure didn't feel it so I woke up this morning thought I was supposed to preach that didn't feel it, so I was pretty sure I was supposed to preach it tonight. I don't feel it tonight, but I just want to leave with you a good word from the Lord that when they came back from captivity, they asked Zechariah, they said, all these fasts we've been doing, do we keep doing them? And he let them know, nope, it's not time to feel bad about the past. It's time to go forward. It's time to build the temple. It's time to have revival. And it's time to just dance and rejoice. And I really believe that's where you are as a church. Quit worrying about what happened in the past. Quit worrying about anything that's gone on and just say, you know what? I can't change any of that. But I can dance before the Lord and we can have a move of God and we can have new families pray through and we can have revival services. And, and I just, so I, I wanted to preach it, but I didn't feel it, so... We're going to go back to the book of Hebrews. I'd like to sing just a stanza or two out of an old gospel hymn, the key of G. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world of lost Was slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Lift your voice till my trophies at last I lay down. And I will cling to the old. 
exchange it someday for a crown. I'm reading it again as I did this morning, but you are coming to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. I'm not going to tell you the story again, but I'm going to remind you of the story that I told you of the man in the balcony. He knows if you're giving all you can give. We see your performance, but he sees our potential. He looks at it differently than we do. So I'm, because I feel that this is what I'm supposed to do tonight, I'm going to talk to you about one of the other characters that I studied in this little series of the man in the balcony. And I'm going to tell you, it may not go well tonight. Who knows? You never know spiritual issues. But I want to tell you that in my 30-something years of studying, personally, I enjoyed studying what I'm fixing to talk to you about more than anything I have ever studied. He's an incredible person. I want to talk to you about him tonight. Let's pray that the Lord will help us. Jesus, we love you tonight, and we thank you. And God, this church stands poised on the line, ready for the sounding of the trumpet. Give them revival in this next year. Let the next 12 months from this convention to next convention be the most productive years that they have ever had. I pray that the seed that they sow brings forth 100-fold. I pray, God, that revival comes, new families are added, and the church is blessed. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, folks, I'm just a human being, and I'm not some kind of machine, and you don't just punch buttons, and out comes little ticker tape stuff and all of that. So I don't know what you're expecting tonight. I don't know what you came looking for, but allow me the slack to say I'm just a human being, and I'm going to give it my very best tonight, and I want the Lord to help us. But it doesn't just happen automatically. You can get in a mindset if you're not careful that all oh, he can handle it. He's the preacher. He can do this by himself. Well, I cannot do this by myself, and I need you to help me tonight. Can you say amen? amen. Let's do a little better. Can you say amen? amen? Thank you. Dr. Sheil, I want to say one more time that I love you very much. He and his good wife recently came to our area on just an anniversary trip, and he blessed our church by preaching. And she sang, I still remember that song. And it was such a beautiful song, and I love these people very, very much. And last, uh, I think it was December, if I remember right, Brother Jason and Sister Violet Shield came to our church, and he preached and she sang, and it was wonderful. And uh, not too far distant, the whole family came. Hallelujah. And George was there, and Dustin was there, and Valen was there, and Sister Vonda was there, and the boys was there, and the family was there. I felt like I had died and went to heaven. And it's truly one of the most wonderful times that I've had in my life. I remember sitting out on that back porch. You remember sitting out on my back porch and just, and then we got out to four-wheelers. And, and if, if that's something you preach against it, you just erase that in your mind. But I do have four-wheelers and I have motorcycles and I have a lot of stuff. Hallelujah. It's because I don't have a wife. Hallelujah. If I had a wife, I'd have drapes and carpet. And, but... <laughs> Uh, yes, I share an affinity with this brother that said he goes home and nobody listens to him. Well, they don't listen to me at home either, praise the Lord. There's nobody there to listen, hallelujah, thank the Lord. So, <clears throat> But I don't want to get off on all that today. I want to get to the word of the Lord. But I love the Shield family, and I want B.B. Arkansas to know that I love you very much. And every time I come, you are an amazing church. You're singing, your music, your your building, the cleanness, the friendliness, uh, you're, you're just a wonderful group of people and certainly would like to pattern ourselves after you in the state of Washington. The story that I'm going to attempt to relate to you tonight has particular meaning to me because I can identify with it. There are things in your walk with God that you will know, that you will hear, 
and that you will understand, but you won't necessarily relate to it because it doesn't touch the fiber of your life. It's, it's, a, it's a situation that is distant to you, and you, you'll see it, acknowledge it, understand it, but it won't touch you because you've never been there. But this particular story tonight got a hold of me because I feel like I can relate to this man. I feel like I can relate to his past. The story actually begins that I want to tell you about 300 years before the incidents that I'm going to relate tonight. And it has to do with the Ark of the Covenant. And we know that the Ark of the Covenant was something that God gave the design, the plan for. They built, they carried it, and uh, it was a beautiful thing. They carried it in the middle of their journey. And in fact, they were required to keep a certain distance from it, even when they traveled, when the, when the tribes were in place, and this whole uh, hundreds of thousands of people, possibly a million plus people were moving through the wilderness at one time. In the center of all of that was this hollowed out space, and in the middle of that was the Ark of the Covenant. And if my calculations are correct to the best of my ability, there was somewhere around three quarters of a mile distance kept from the ark. They didn't crowd in on it. There was a distance, there was a space, a reverence, a hallowedness. And when they finally settled down, the Bible lets us to know that they set that ark at Shiloh and then uh, it was there for many, many, many years. And then Saul uh, going to battle, uh, uh, excuse me, Eli's day, they were going to battle, and he thought, maybe if I send this ark into battle, it'll protect us. And so he sent the ark, and you're familiar with the fact that uh, the battle was lost. They took the ark, and, and it fell into the hands of the Philistines for seven months. So they took the ark of God down into the Philistine camp. They put it at Ashdod, then they moved it to Gath, then they moved it to Ekron. And they removed, they finally they returned it on a new cart. And uh, they put new kind to it, and they, they returned it some eight to ten miles uh, from Beth Shemesh. And finally it came to stop when those kind stopped, those, doc, those uh, cows stopped. It came to rest in Kerjath Jerem. And there it was for about 70 years. And that's where the story that I want to relate to you tonight picks up. Again, I'm not apologizing. I'm explaining that I love the Bible and I don't, I'm not preaching about me or you or current events. I'm going to preach about the Bible tonight and hope that's not offensive to you. I hope you love the Bible enough to hear what the Bible has to say. So David, the fledging king, has now been elected uh, by God's mandate and defended by his people. He's, he's now the king and for uh, seven and a half years he was in a civil war and the Civil War is now over, and Abner has uh, capitulated to him, and David makes a secret pact with Abner. Abner goes home. Joab doesn't like it. Joab intersects him, catches him at a city, and invites him outside, plunges a knife under his fifth rib. Abner dies. David laments. Abner, Abner, uh, dieth. Abner is a fool, dieth. And so the nation tries to heal. And for seven and a half years, David rules in Hebrew. And after seven and a half years, he moves to Jerusalem and he begins to fight his battles. David fights uh, a lot of battles. He defeats the arch enemy that's been their enemy for many, many years. And uh, the Philistines and David finally has peace on every hand. And so now for the last many, many years of David's life, somewhere close to 40 years, he's, he's run from Saul for about 20. Now he's, he's fought wars and now he finally has peace on every side. And he decides that he wants to build his kingdom. And it's a beautiful moment in the scripture. The next time you're reading through the book of First and Second Chronicles and you don't feel like it's very interesting, slow down a little bit and really get the big picture of what's going on. It is the picture of the formation of the closest thing to God's kingdom being on this earth that it will ever be short of the millennial reign of Christ himself. David realizes that I am the king, but I'm not the real king. That I am just a figurehead. That's why when he finally does get the ark and he starts bringing the ark of God home, 
it wasn't just because the day was too hot that he reaches up and takes his crown off and takes the priestly garment, I mean the kingly garment off of his shoulder. That wasn't what the issue was. It wasn't that it was just a warm day. But David had the understanding that I may be the king of Israel, but I'm not the true king. And how can I even parade myself as a king in the presence of the one who is truly the king? And so when they picked up that ark, David realized that I am not the true king. If you read the story, the ark of God had been down in Kerjath Jerim for about 70 years. And David said, I can't really establish the kingdom of God without the ark. We need to go get it. And so the Bible tells me that he took 30,000 men. He took a large contingency. He took 30,000 men and he goes down to get the ark and to bring it back to Jerusalem. He's interested in setting up his kingdom. He's interested in all the judicial matters of the court. He's interested in and, 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 and he did a marvelous job and that's what the books of Chronicles the latter parts are all about was David setting up this kingdom that he had. And so he's got he goes down to get the ark and he puts it on the new cart. You remember he just followed the example of the Philistines and, and that's when the ark uh, teeters and that's when the, the oxen stumble and the man by the name of Yuza reaches up and touches the ark and when he does God smote him and killed him and the Bible says David was displeased and he was afraid of the Lord at that time and that's when this story really starts what happens is David looks around and he says wait a minute we can't go any further I don't want to do this anymore because I'm afraid that we're getting in trouble with God what can we do and his eyes Look and just arbitrarily, just happen chance, just happens to be right there. They said, well, here's the house of a man by the name of Obed-Edom. Why don't we just park the ark at his house for the next little bit until we decide what to do. And so David says, that will be fine. And they took the ark of God and placed it in the house of Obed-Edom. And they left it there for three months. And after three months, they decided to come back and get it. This man, by the name of Obed-Edom, is an amazing character. And he is the one that I want to bring down out of the gallery tonight. If you've already heard about him, or if you've heard someone preach about him, or if you've heard me possibly preach about him, close all of that out of your mind. Come into the house of the Lord tonight, and let's let God speak to us out of the word of the Lord about this man's example. For he is truly one of those just men whose spirit has been made perfect. And so here's Obed-Edom. To the best of my knowledge, he's called Obed-Edom the Gittite. He is called that because he comes from a region of the country that's on the coastline. And he was one of the men that was trapped in an area. He is a descendant of the Levitical priesthood. He was trapped in a little area. And when David went to war with the Philistines, he liberated that area. And those men who were considered Gittites but were truly Israelis or Hebrews, he was able to free them and 600 of them were freed out of the hand of the Philistines and followed David back to the promised land. Evidently they just got free land or were granted some place on the outer skirts of the boundary for the, the ark had stopped right inside the boundary and there is where it was left and so David had gone to pick it up at Kerjath Jerum and had just gone just a little ways when this incident happened. So we know that Obed Edom lived right inside the boundary. So I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, he was probably given this territory. He was probably assigned this as a member that came in and didn't have an inheritance on the rolls of the nation. But he was, he was a member of the Levitical priesthood. My point to you tonight is this. He is a man that really didn't have a right to be there. He was a man that by right should have been lost in Gitta. In, in Gitta. He was a man that, that, that when we look at him, we would have thought, boy, you, you're never going to have a chance. And the reason I can relate to that is because of my own personal background. And I'm sure there are going to be people in this building that can relate to that as well. Because I didn't come from a Pentecostal home. I didn't have people uh, and the heritage that many of you have. 
have. I, I wish I had. I didn't really attend a Pentecostal church on a consistent basis until I was 12. I got baptized when I was 12. I received the Holy Ghost when I was 16. My father was not a Pentecostal person. He never went to church at all in his life. My mother was a lady that came a few times and prayed and actually received the Holy Ghost but never attended for more than a week after she received the Holy Ghost. My connection was my grandmother. My grandmother is the one that took me to church. And so when I went to live with my grandmother when I was 12, and so I can understand how Obed-Edom must have felt because when I look at my life, I think, you know, I really didn't have the, 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 the chance that some people had. My, my parents didn't take me to church. I didn't sit on the pew with my mother and my father. But, but Obed-Edom realized that, you know what, I'm just glad to be here. And so he finally is in the promised land, although barely inside. And this tragic event happens with Yuza. And this just by chance, just, just a, 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 an unusual circumstance, and the ark of God is placed in his house. Now in 2 Samuel chapter number 6, the Bible makes the simple statement, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom. There was something about the Ark of the Covenant being in his house. I don't know how it worked. I don't know if his checkbook suddenly miraculously was increased. I don't know if the corn of his fields brought forth abundant crops. I don't know if his lamb started dropping five at one time. I have no idea what that means. But I do know that it says that God began to bless Obed-Edom because of the ark of God. And to his credit, he was smart enough to realize that it's because God's presence is in my house. That's why I'm being blessed. It's not, not because I'm astute. It's not because I'm a great mathematician. It's not because I have the ability. It's not because I went to some kind of class and learned. It wasn't Dave Ramsey that did this for me. And, and we use his program. I'm not against it. But I'm just saying, Obed-Edom had the understanding. You know what? God's blessing my house because of his presence. And I've never had this before. And Obed-Edom fell in love with the presence of God. And he made up his mind that I don't ever want to live my life again without the presence of God. And so David finally gets it all figured out and says, well, we messed up. It wasn't in 30,000 soldiers. It's in the priest. We've got to take the priest and we've got to get sacrifices and we've got to bring the ark of God on the shoulders of the priest. And so he lines it all out and the day arrives and the great moment comes when, when with great fanfare, the king with all of the regalia and the banners and all of the attending soldiers, David arrives at his house and there this humble man who has been a caretaker of the ark of God for the last three months meets the king and there David instructs the priest what to do and they very carefully enter his house and they very carefully begin to lift it to their shoulders and begin to make the journey back to Jerusalem and they had barely gotten past his front door just a few steps for the Bible says every six steps David stopped and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and so they had barely cleared the lintel of his front door before David stopped and offered a sacrifice and reached up and took the crown off his head and reached up and undid the garment of the, of the king in the presence because he was now in the presence of the true king and David laid them aside and in Obed-Edom's front yard David begins to dance and he begins to praise the Lord and oh it's a joyous moment and a contagious and everybody was worshiping and then much to his surprise he says alright let's go and the whole ceremony starts again and they pick up that ark and take six more steps and before they even clear the front yard gate they're at it again David stops and offers another sacrifice and Obed-Edom is struck with all of this and he's, he's a discerning man he sees this and finally when that wave passes he watches as they pick it up and make another six steps and this time barely clearing the front yard gate and they're out in the lane in front of his property and there David does it again and he follows for a long ways and watches as David again and again begins to praise the Lord the journey that they made that day was approximately seven miles if I measure it correctly in my Bible and every so many paces they stopped and offered a sacrifice to the best of my calculation it was literally hundreds and hundreds of times somewhere around 3,500 
hundred times David stopped and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord. And Obed-Edom realized that the God that is represented by that covenant, the ark of the covenant that rested in his house, the God of that is a great God. He's a powerful God. And he's watching as every few steps David stops and offers another sacrifice unto the Lord. Not just once or twice, but hundreds of times, thousands of times. Let me encourage people in this building tonight that have been attending church for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. Can I tell you that it's always right to offer the sacrifice of praise. It doesn't matter that you've come a thousand times. It doesn't matter that you've come 2,000 times. It doesn't matter that you've come 3,000 times. The Bible still says, by him therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks unto his name. It's still right to walk in the house of the Lord and lift your hands and begin to sing and give thanks and praise unto God. I don't know how far Obed-Edom followed the journey of the ark. Maybe he followed it all the way to Jerusalem. Maybe he was an observer for the full seven miles. Maybe he stood in his front yard and watched as every few paces they offered sacrifices again until they were completely out of sight. But one thing we know according to the Bible is something happened in the heart of this man. This man realized that I shouldn't even be here. I should have been left in, in the, the regions of the Philistines. I should not even have the opportunity to be here. He realized that it was just fate and just a chance passing that dropped the ark of God in his house. But he also realized that I was blessed when I was in the presence of the Lord. And he made a decision that I'm going to prove to you tonight from the word of God. He made a decision that I do not want to live the rest of my life without the presence of God. From this day forward I want to be in the presence of the Lord. He made a conscious choice to be involved in absolutely everything he could get his hands on. It's almost comical how much he got involved in. When I began to read his story in the Bible I said to myself, if there's anyone in this book that I can identify with, if there's anyone in this book that I would want to pattern my life after, Obed-Edom certainly would be one of them. For when he surrendered the ark of God And the ark of God was taken to Jerusalem And the Bible lets us to know that David begins to set up his kingdom I want you to know that every single time a job is mentioned Obed-Edom was standing there wanting to be involved in the work of God Let me tell you how it happened They get it all together David finally arrives He puts the ark of God in the tabernacle And David says "All right." We're going to set up the kingdom. And David did a wonderful job of it. There were 38,000 Levites. There were 24 courses. There were 4,000 singers. There were 288 musicians. There were 4,000 gatekeepers. I think you have one of the finest choirs, if not the finest choirs in America. But if you can imagine your choir... 10 times the amount of people if you can imagine your musicians not just a few musicians but 288 musicians playing and, and harmony and singing if you can imagine all of those singers singing and all of those musicians and David coordinated all of that he didn't just coordinate that but he took a nation that had no structure and he built a structure for it he appointed people in various positions and when it came time then for the worship of the tabernacle I want to show you what happened they're there, they're together, and I'm going to do this in my redneck way. I hope it's not offensive to anybody. But the Bible says that they were, they were looking for someone to thank and praise the Lord. They said, now we want some volunteers here that will be just willing to thank the Lord and praise the Lord. Not, not even true worship leaders, just people that will come and, and, and they're willing to extend themselves. And, 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 and of course, the very first person on his feet was a man with his hand held high and he wasn't well known. He wasn't one of the common people of Jerusalem. In fact, this possibly was the very first day that he had ever been there. And they look at him and say, yes, sir, can we help? He said, I would like 
to volunteer to be one that thanks the Lord and praises the Lord. And they said, okay, we'll put you down, sir. What is your name? And he said, my name is Obed-Edom. I want to be one of the praisers. I want to be one of the people that thank the Lord. Because you see, the ark of God was in my house for three months, and I don't want to live without his presence anymore. I want his presence in my life. And so they got all the volunteers for that. That's wonderful. And they wrote them down. And they moved on. And they said, all right, now, we need some people that are willing to volunteer for just the everyday work of the temple. It's not big, important stuff. It's just everyday work. And guess who was on his feet with his hand high in the air? And they said, uh, yes, sir. They thought maybe he had a question or didn't understand because he just volunteered for the last job. But he's on his feet, got his hand high in the air. And they said, uh, yeah, yeah, sir, can we help you and he said I would like to volunteer for the everyday work of the tabernacle and they said well sir you've already volunteered to thank and praise the Lord you're already on the little praise team and he said I understand that but I would also like to volunteer for the everyday work of the house of God they said wonderful that's good okay put him down and, and moving right along here they got their volunteers for that and then they said well we need somebody to be porters somebody that'll just watch the doors and the gates and let people in and out and all of a sudden shooting to his feet with his hand high in the air is Obed-Edom and they're looking at him now like sir wait just a minute we've got a lot of jobs to feel here You can't. but he, he would not be denied he said you know what if there's one ounce of anything going on I want to be involved in that and so he's got his hand high in the air and he said I want to be a porter in the house of God and so they said well alright put him down we'll work it out somehow one of the most touching things that I read in the Bible and if you've already heard this God bless you but just just hear me out tonight one of the things that I was so impressed by was the Bible says when they ask for volunteers for the second degree choir it, it that this this is not the number one choir this is not the a-line choir this is the second degree choir this is the choir that sings when the main choir is gone this is the choir that sings on off nights they don't sing during special services or during dedication times these are these are the second degree choir these are the people that don't sing as well. Guess who was on his feet with his hand high in the air? Obed-Edom said, I would like to volunteer for that as well. I would like to volunteer for the second degree choir. I appreciate people who don't have to be first. I appreciate people who don't fuss about who's singing the lead in the choir. I appreciate when you can assign something without worrying whose feelings are going to be hurt because they weren't asked to do that. And after all, they are the one that should have been ask. I'm sure it's never happened in BB, but I'm telling you in Washington there have actually been people who were offended because they were not asked to sing a lead in a choir. Hey, somewhere, get the revelation that it's not about you, it's about him. And whatever happens, just be willing to have the spirit of an Obed-Edom that says I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to be a porter. I'm willing to work in the yard. I'm willing to, I'm willing to do anything. That's all I have to do. So he joined the second degree choir. And then it actually gets kind of humorous because they said, all right, we got you down there, sir. You're on the praise team. You're on the everyday work. You're on the porters, and we're going to let you sing in the second degree choir. Thank you. They said, all right, now, we're looking for people to play the harp. He's on his feet. He's got his hand up. They said, excuse me, Obed-Edom, do you know how to play the harp? No. I don't have any idea how to play the harp. Why are you volunteering to play the harp? Because I want to be in the presence of the Lord. I wonder what it would be like. Now, I realize everybody can't sing in the choir. And Sister Vonda would shoot me if I got it to preaching and inspired the whole church to sing in the choir. I'm sure it would be mass confusion. That's what they did in early Pentecost, Bishop, when everybody come up on the platform and sang and we had nobody out there. We were all on the platform singing and there was nobody out there. I understand that. But I'm telling you, I'm talking about a spirit that says, I want to be involved in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about a spirit that gets in churches today that says, uh, 
excuse me, that's not my ministry. It's not my ministry to vacuum the floor. It's not my ministry to wash dishes. My ministry is to do intercessory prayer. Well, thank you for your intercessory prayer, but you can also get your hands dirty along with the rest of us. Hallelujah. It's just the work of God. And he had an idea that he said, you going to play the harp? Count me in. When they asked for a doorkeeper, guess who was on his feet? It was Obed-Edom that was on his feet. When they asked him to play the psaltery, it was him that was on his feet. I'm telling you, when I read the story of this man in the Bible, everything that went on, he was encouraged to be a part of it. I don't know how you feel, but it's such a struggle sometimes as a pastor to get people to see the vision of how important it is. If it's a work day, it's important. If it's an outreach moment, it's important. Whatever you're doing, it's so much better if the church will get the understanding that I'm a part of this. I am a part of this. If God could baptize us with that kind of a spirit. Hallelujah. He had been in the presence of God and he wanted that presence in his life. And then a moment happened that has inspired me. If you would come. That's him volunteering. That's him stepping forward. But the moment came. If you've ever heard this before, it's a beautiful moment. He's an outsider. He now has the name of just this radical guy that volunteers for everything. He's wanting to play the harp. He's wanting to be on the praise team. He's appointed to be one of the janitors. He's going to sing on the second degree choir. He's going to do all these things. And the day came when they said, we're going to put names in for a drawing. And this is going to be an important position. And uh, there are going to be four names drawn. And these four names will be given the responsibility of the gates of the city. This is not a volunteer position. This is one that God chooses. This is one where God reaches in and tells us. I don't know how many of the 38,000 Levites put their name in. The Bible doesn't say. But it does say that they were going to draw four names out. And they prayed over it. And they began the draw. The north gate had to do with commerce, collections, supplies coming into the city. The east gate had to do with passports, dignitaries. The west gate was the least desirable. It was primarily noted and still is to this day. If you go to Jerusalem, it's still this. It's the garbage gates where they take out the garbage. But it still was an important position. And the most coveted position... The number one place that everyone's heart yearned for was the southern gate because it guarded the king's treasure. And so these names were put in. It's not Obed-Edom volunteering now. It's God choosing who he wants. So they drew. And for the east gate, Shelemiah was drawn. Maybe there was polite applause. He was excited. His family was excited. My husband, my dad, been given this great honor. They drew the west gate. Hosa was pulled, he and Shufram. And I'm sure they were excited. For only four positions out of 38,000 were going to be drawn. And the north gate was drawn, and a man by the name of Zechariah was appointed. And I'm sure his family was excited. And I'm also sure that however many names are in that drawing, there was bated breath while they reached for the last and final draw. Who would be drawn for the most prestigious honor of guarding the southern gate of this city? And when the name was read, there was a silence because he was the least likely to be chosen. And it was Obed-Edom. And it's as though God was saying to Obed-Edom.
because you cared for my ark in your house. Now you can care for my ark in my house. And I think there's an important lesson to be learned about how do we take care of God's things in our homes. We preach a message that says our homes need to be inviolate. We preach a message that our homes need to be more than places where we sleep and eat. They are places where God also dwells. And Israel's golden age was when they had local high places and a central high place. And the strongest churches are not just where people come together and shout, run the aisles in this house. But when there is fervent, consistent prayer on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. When there's prayer with children, when there's, when there's devotions going on in the home. And so God realized that Obed-Edom was faithful in his house. Therefore, he gave him the honor of watching over the ark of God in his house. Would you stand with me? When you look at it and you say, man, pretty cool little story. An outsider who should by rights have never had a chance comes in gets blessed wow out of 38,000 people he's one of four honored what an incredible story but if you've never heard me say this let me tell you tonight even if that was the end of the story it would be a great story but that's not the end of the story if you read in your bible and continue reading that's not where it stopped the book of chronicles tells me moreover the sons of Obed-Edom were and it lists them and it says that all these the sons of Obed-Edom they and their sons and their brethren able to keep men for strength for the service were three score and two that's 62 men in his downline eight sons all of their sons his sons and his grandsons all described by the bible as mighty men of valor men who could war men who were discerning I'm convinced the reason that happened was they raised those kids in the shadow of the house of God. They got involved in everything that went on at the church. He named his children. His firstborn, Jehovah, gave Second born, Jehovah is my helper. Third born, wages of the Lord. Fourth, God heard me. Fifth, God is our God. Sixth, we are available to God. On and on the list of his sons. What an incredible story. A great man, unknown, just got involved in the work of God. And because he gave himself to God, then God turned around and blessed him and anointed him. Great story. Wonderful ending. But that's not the end of the story. 240 years later, The Bible says that Hezekiah wanted to cleanse the temple. And he asked for volunteers. And the man that stepped up and volunteered 240 years later was a descendant of Obed-Edom. I don't know if that affects you or not 
But I'm going to tell you, there are two things that are important to me outside of my relationship with God. And that is the church I pastor and my daughter. I have one daughter, one son-in-law, and one grandson. I don't have a large family. What would it be worth to me if I could know that my daughter would live for God all the days of her life? What would it be worth to me to know that my grandson would buy into it and be involved in the church and be involved in the work of God? What would it be worth to me to know that 240 years down the road, my descendants, if the Lord tarries, are still involved in the work of God, are still excited about the work of God? How important is that? David knew a lot of people and he wrote a lot of songs but let me read you the psalm that he wrote in honor of Obed-Edom he saw this man knew where he came from picked up his pen and this is the psalm that he wrote to honor Obed-Edom the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. The next verse is particularly about Obed-Edom. All those singers, 288 musicians and 4,000 singers in the house of God are singing this song about Obed-Edom that says, He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. He had a simple understanding where his blessing came from. It came from the house of God. Of God. I prayed about this service tonight and I told the Lord, I said, whatever you want me to talk about, I'm willing to do. And a family that I pastor came to my mind. And it grieves me because they are wonderful, wonderful people. But the man that leads that family just can't quite settle down. They've moved and moved and moved and moved. Just this week, I got an email from his wife who told me in the email that he's planning on moving again. They've moved so many times, they don't have anything. They don't own a home. They don't have nice cars. Their children are scattered across America because he never could get the understanding that his blessing was in the house of God. It's not over the next hill. It's not over the next state line. It's not in another new setting. And I've got other people, honest folks, I've got other people in my church that are not nearly as talented, that don't have the ability that this brother has, but they own homes. Their children are all serving the Lord because they bought in to the simple concept of an Obed-Edom that said, you know what? Blessings don't come from my ingenuity blessings come from God I want you to close your eyes and allow God to speak to us for just a few moments how involved are you in the work of God I'm not saying that to condemn I'm saying if you ever buy into the spirit That says, I want to be involved in everything that goes on in my church. If you ever buy into that. If you ever buy into the concept that I may not be a good harp player. But I'm going to try. I may not be able to sing the lead in the choir. But I'm willing to sing in the second degree choir. I'm willing to be a porter. I'm willing to be a doorkeeper. I'm willing to be involved in the daily work. It doesn't matter. 
because I'm going to have children coming along and I want them all to serve the Lord. And I want all of my grandchildren to serve the Lord. And if the Lord tarries hundreds of years from now, I want a legacy of my children's children serving God and being a part. And that's the legacy that Obed-Edom leaves us tonight. From nowhere to a living legend because he fell in love with the presence of God. With heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, I'd like to invite you to step out and recommit and rededicate and walk to these altars and kneel in the presence of the Lord and say, I'd like to recommit myself to God. I want the spirit of an Obed-Edom. I want it to get a hold of my life. I want it to get a hold of my spirit. Would you come? Can use anything, Lord, you Are you hungry for it? Do you want his presence in your life? Are you hungry for it? You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. I'm willing to give myself to you, Lord, in any capacity. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be best. I don't have to be recognized. You're the one that's going to be passing out the rewards. I'm working for you, Jesus. I'm working for you, Jesus. I'm working for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Take my hands, Lord. Take my feet. Touch my heart, Lord. Speak through me. You can use anything, Lord. You can use me. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. Speak through me. You can use. 